0: Favorite games that I played growing up was a game called Hide and Go Street. So I Johan, how many of you played Hide and Go Street when you were little or maybe some day or together. You know, it really was one of my favorite games. I remember playing in my neighborhood, the blocks I grew up on in Portland, Indiana, especially during the summer, during the time when kids would play outside all day and well into the evenings. Uh, I remember playing a lot at the U.S. family gatherings, and my dad's side of the family I had a number of cousins, and we could just play that game. Now, if you remember how the rules of the hiding seat go, it begins with somebody, a boy or girl being designated as the it, okay? And the it will say count to 1 to 30. And while the it is counting, everybody else would try to prepare and find safe place, find a hiding place. And then when the it would get close to the countdown 28, 29, 30, he or she would say, ready or not here I can. And in time of there's no more opportunity to hide or prepare or find shelter. Well, as we begin Advent this weekend, maybe in some way we have that same memory about Christmas. Ready or not, it's coming. But so I want to talk to you tonight about something much more urgent, much more important than a game of hiding these or the fact that Christmas Day will be here in about three and a half weeks. I want to talk to you about the last day, the second and final coming of Christ, his second advent. Because ready or not, Christ is coming again. And today we kick off our advent sermon series titled, What Can Wait as We Prepare for Christ's Second Advent, his second and final coming. And today we're going to be looking at the concept of the lament. Which uh, comes from our gospel reading that uh, David said earlier tonight, from the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus told. Because ready or Christ is coming again, and the scriptural basis for our Advent sermon series will be Matthew chapters twenty-four and twenty-five. And in these two chapters of the scripture, Jesus teaches a lot about that second and final coming, about that last day, and tonight specifically from our Matthew 25 text, The Parable of the Ten Jesus likens the Kingdom of Heaven to the events surrounding and involved in a Jewish wedding celebration at that time. Now, I just have to share on a personal note, uh, to be preaching a text on a wedding celebration tonight, where 28 years ago, through the night, I was with my wife, Laura, at our own wedding reception is pretty cool to cool. me. I mean, it is right at my own wedding, done so, for I praise the Lord for that, and he's put up with me for 28 years. That's what like But anyway, let's get back to this parable. Jesus sets up the story this way Matthew 25, the first two verses. At that time, the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. We see there are ten virgins. Now, the virgins are these virgins of these bridesmaids were young women who accompanied the bride, They were unmarried, and they were pure. Now the ten virgins are waiting for the bridegroom, or as we would say today, the groom, to come. Now on the one hand, this might seem like a strange custom, but this was very commonly done in ancient Israel. Weddings and customs back then were different, marriages were arranged, and the list goes on. And it was customary in Jewish culture at that time, after a couple became engaged, that the groom would go away for about a year and prepare a home for his new family. When he returned, a great wedding celebration would take place to commemorate the newly married couple. Now, when we think of weddings today, much of the day of a wedding in coming sunny is centered around the arrival of the bride. No anticipation there. Much of the day is dedicated to the bride. It's been said that today weddings in many ways are all about the bride. Well, back then, it was a business. There was great anticipation about the coming of the groom. In many ways, the day was dedicated to the groom. You could say it was all about him. And there was a bit of mystery in the air as well. Because no one knew exactly when the groom and his groom's moment, would arrive. But the arrival would be at night. It would be led by a court presentation with shouts of joy coming. From the wedding party. Now, when the groom finally did arrive, the bridesmaids would join the procession with their lamps, and they would follow the bride, groom, and the bride into the wedding feast. Now, back then, it was a huge football to show up at a feast, a wedding feast, without a lit lamp. In fact, any bridesmaid who came without a lamp would not be allowed in. They would be turned away at the door because obviously she had not prepared and was no friend of the groom. So with that in mind, Jesus now breaks down the character in this parable. He says five of the virgins, or five of the bridesmaids, were wise, and five of them were seated. So how would he make that distinction, the differentiation between the wise and the unwise ones? Well, he bases it on the afternoon. You see, in Matthew 25, and 4, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and dyes along with them. Now, the bridesmaids, the virgins, had lamps. So these lamps were basically torches that consisted of a long pole with oil print rags at the top that would be lit and then the fuel that would um, produce the fire in these orchards was olive oil. Now these lamps had to be replenished about every 16 minutes. More oil had to be added. So to not take a lamb, extra oil, if you were advised me for the procession, because you don't know when the groom will to and there's a good chance that he might be raised, it was unfavorable shows how foolish five of these reds may be. I do like to let's say I had an appointment in the western suburbs of Chicago. And I'm going to make that 300-mile drive myself from my house in Canton. I get in my car with one-eighth of a tank of gas. I don't bring my wallet. I don't bring my phone. No other provision to buy more fuel along the way. I might be rather foolish, right, to think that I'm going to make it to my destination on time. Well, perhaps the maids thought to groom walk would not be delayed and they'd make it. Well the wise version or the wise guys made for extra oil in case the wheel went out and there were delay. Because they could not know for sure when the groom and been in this poor that Jesus used to groom. They would not know when he would arrive. And as we see in verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time coming. It got darker and darker, and the bridesmaids all became drowsy and fell asleep, not sure when he was arriving. And then we see a problem arise in verses 6 and 7. At midnight, the cry rings out Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and friends. A lamp. So, not surprisingly, the groom was delayed. The bridesmaids got a little drowsy, a little sleepy. they nodded off, and then when somebody shouted out, hey, we got word, the groom is coming, he's getting close. They wake up, they're startled, they reach for the lamp, and they're going to trim their lamp to get them ready for the professional. Now, by trimming a lamp, and again, this is what we mean. and again, these lamps, it consists of a long course, with the oil-drenched rag at the top, and the child and lip straight ends. sometimes it has to be cut, to allow extra oil to go in to re-light or re-ignite the torch. Because the lamps of all the maids were running low. So that's the same. So we pick it up now in verses 8 and 9. So the foolish blinds, the foolish maiden said to the wise ones who brought up the oil, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out No, the wise maids replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. Well, the question arises: will the foolish bridegroom find a sale open at that time of night, and even if they're able to buy oil, will they make it back in time? Well, we see the following in Matthew 25:10. But while the five foolish virgins were gone, planning to buy the oil, you know what happened? The bridegroom arrived. And the five virgins who were ready and prepared and brought enough oil went in with the bridegroom to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Now, back then, at that time, there was no such thing as being fashionably late to a wedding. If you were not there on time, the door was shut, and you did not enter in to the banquet. So now this parable, and the speaking of Jesus, takes forever side to as described foolish maidens for us. Matthew 25, 11, 12, and 13, later the others, those foolish maidens also came and they said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The foolish virgins were not allowed in to join the celebration. Now, this parable was one of the last parables that Jesus told his disciples before he was arrested by the authorities. And the story centered around a wedding celebration, a joyous event. It was call to be ready for that festive day, that final coming of Jesus, so that the disciples that so you and I would be prepared and ready to enter some day that wedding banquet that will have no end. So for our time in Galatians tonight, I'd like to look at four biblical keys that we can glean from this five parable of the ten virgins in the wedding feast, that can not only help us prepare this Advent season to celebrate that first coming of Christ again, but also, as we're having an eye in this series, help us prepare as well for that second and final conclusion. And the first of the four takeaways is this from this parable: good intentions, good intentions are not enough. The five foolish maidens had good intentions. They wanted to choose the They had horses. They knew how to use them, but they didn't follow through. With enough oil, and they never were fully prepared. Now, um, as Brother David mentioned in this talk. In a little over a month, we're going to say goodbye to the year 2020. For many of us, it might be a year we're really ready to put on a set and not look back on for a while. It's going to challenge a year amidst the blessings that certainly God has to upon us. But when January the 1st comes around 2021, people are going to be looking forward to a new year. And we do every january. and as a part of that January 1st ritual, millions of Americans will make New Year's resolutions, right? Good intention promises. And of all the resolutions that are made, what's the number one resolution if made at New Year's Lose weight and get in better physical shape. So let's just say for illustration we'll purposes tonight, one of us would have the goal of saying let's than 40 pounds in 2021, okay? So, to offer them those good intentions, maybe you would go out and buy a gym membership the first week of January, assuming that gym should be open in the state of Michigan at that time. That's the one thing you could do. Or maybe, and the door, you go buy a stationary bike or a treadmill for the basement. Maybe you come up with a new diet plan. But good intentions alone will not take off the weight, improve our health, or alter our family. If we're not willing to buy the membership, or buy the membership and actually go work out, if the treadmill or the stationary bike becomes a second coat hanger or hamper or for clothes in the basement, if we make no changes to our diet, our health will not improve. The weight will not go down. To affect the change, we have to work the plan, like right. work the tools and have the discipline. Good intentions alone will not drop the weight and improve our health and change our lives. Likewise, good intentions choice good intentions alone will not shake and grow our faith and our spiritual care to in Christ. For example, maybe we have good intentions, all of us, once the, the COVID virus gets under control, or once we get past the holidays to get more regular in our worship attendance, either virtual or in person, or once we get in 2021 and once the virus is under control, or once the vaccine is out there, maybe again I'll consider get involved in a Bible study virtually or in Christian or spend more time in prayer or get involved in a of event, good intentions alone will not grow and safer. Good intentions alone can sometimes result in a spiritual lamp running a little bit low on oil. Good intentions, as we see in the parable, do not guarantee good actions and outcomes. And that leads us to a second biblical theme tonight from this parable as we look forward, growing in our Lord, as we celebrate His first coming in Advent coming, and we anticipate that second and final advent in the future. And it's this. Don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate. We want to be ready. We want to be anticipating the arrival of the Master, the Bridegroom, Jesus Christ, His second and final coming. We want to be ready for the instant. In our parable, the five foolish virgins knew the wedding feast was coming. They had their last, they knew how to use them, they knew where to buy oil, but they chose only to bring a small amount of oil with them. They knew the groom was coming, but they didn't know when. Instead, they chose to come with minimal preparation, and when they finally did see the master, the groom coming, they didn't go immediately right away and buy more oil. Now, instead, so they look for someone else to try to bail them out of trouble. And that hope never came. Likewise, I say, our spiritual land, so deceived, can only grow in praise trust and love and readiness for Jesus' second and final coming by our own commitment, followed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to desire to grow each day in our relationship with the Lord, to have Jesus' time it's easy to procrastinate sometimes for all of us and to put it off for another day, to procrastinate in committing to grow in the most important relationship we'll ever have. That was our Lord of Savior. We know no one else's faith can save us the Christ. It's a gift from God. It's a personal saving space for relationship with Christ. Now, let's look at this concept of procrastination outside of the spiritual realm for a moment, in another area Let's look at the area of retirement. Many of us here tonight in the sense we watching realize we hope to retire someday. Some of us are in that lost position right now. But we know, for example, if we don't do the planning for retirement along the way, if we don't take the steps necessary to do this for savings, someday we may never be able to retire if we procrastinate to Or we won't retire at the age we want to or we maybe won't retire with the income level that we want to live comfortably. In other words, we will not be financially secure in our retirement years unless we start to plan and prepare and stop procrastinating and sometimes living in the moment, right, of our most urgent, pressing financial need or dreams today. Likewise, Jesus recognizes how easy it is to procrastinate in other areas of life. He's calling us not to procrastinate in growing in the walk with him. To be ready for that eternity, to be prepared for that banquet, whenever that comes, because he desires all to attend that banquet. If we procrastinate and we were saved by grace, and faith, that we may never grow in that abundant life with him as he desires until that day comes. He wants to grow in this amazing God. Third biblical key parable from Matthew 25, the story of the wise and foolish virgins and the banquet, and what it means for our first Advent celebration, that first coming of Christ, as well as that one to come, is let's not plan. Let's not plan for these exam. Many of us may remember back in high school and college, cramming for mid things and finals, right? Uh, we have some people perhaps here tonight or sitting joining us that a high school students, college students, currently, and you understand what it means to climb. For those of us that have crammed along the way before mid final, it means you pull all night right? The night before the test is scheduled, trying to make up for weeks if not months of less than adequate preparation. Now, as a former high school educator, I always try to stress to my students the harmful a more the final productive effect, the time to plan, where have the night before, versus doing a little bit of studying and waiting along the way. I think we've learned in our schooling that acing an exam, acing a course, mastering content does not happen overnight. you got to work on it a little bit at a time. Students, you know when the midterms are, right? You know when the finals are. They tend to not be surprises. And yet many of us do, many of us did, right? Wait to study perhaps for the last minute. Well, when it comes to the final and second coming of Jesus, it is happening even though we don't know the day or the time. Jesus will come at second and final time and desires all of us to know him so we may remain to that eternal wedding banquet that will never end. And I think when we look at family and other areas of our life, particularly our spiritual life, it's easy to do. For example, many times I think, regardless of what stage of life you're in, we think that once I get to the next stage, I'll have more time for myself to have time with me, more time to study his word, more time to have opportunities to spend all these time, get involved in service and other activities. I mean, we all say that I've worked through that in i stages of my life. Let's start with the college years. We may think, well, once we are out of college, then I've more time to get back to worshiping regularly like I was brought up to do, or studying the Bible, or take time to pray. Or once I'm out of grad school. Or once I'm married, my spouse will be a good influence on me, right? Once the kids are in school, that will free up good Once you get kids off the college, well, once the people are out of the mess, once all, once you retire, then we'll finally have the time to really get involved in growing daily in the world, in prayer, other devotional activities, spiritual history. Now, you'll have the time to proactively think about the people that God pictured my path each and every day that don't know Him, to share the work of the Lord. I think it's easy for all of us to do. I find myself in that as well. It's easy to be waiting for the next because i am just go so busy right now. Well, fortunately, we are saved by grace and faith on, our, on a kind of what Christ has done for us. And yet, we are saved by faith, but until that time of that answer, He does desire us to grow in faith and love for Him as a reflection of what He stands for us. He desires us to grow in our faith and love with him each and every day of our lives. If we try to him, we may never fully on this side of heaven experience the full abundance of spiritual life that he has for us. And that leads us to our fourth and final key that we can glean from the parable of Jesus about the wise and the foolish as we prepare to celebrate that first coming of Christ once again in the next month with an eye toward that second and final coming in today. Many people, many people we know are not prepared, and God wants all people to be saved. A majority of people on this 8 billion-plus populated Canada, a majority of the three hundred thirty million citizens of this great country in which we live, I would command probably the majority of people on the blocks in which we live in our neighborhoods, in Plymouth, in Canton, in Lagonia, in New York, still. They don't know Jesus. Many of the people we work with, go to school with, cut some of our families. They don't know Jesus as the way. They don't know him as the way, the peace, and the life. They don't know him as the only way to the Father. They don't know him as the only path to that eternal wedding feast. It's possible to be in close contact with Christ, to be in close contact with fellow Christians, to be a member of a church, to be a member of a wonderful church, such as St. Michael Lutheran, and sometimes not yet really know the bridegroom, and not possess that saving, personal, faith relationship with Christ. It's a thing that he wants all of us to receive and accept. In this prayer, and in this Advent season, Jesus wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be prepared to live in the joy and anticipation of that life, and, that life to come, which is a free gift from Him. That celebration that will be His second advent, that second and final coming. But until that time, whenever that day is, He doesn't want us to be so heavenly focused, of course, that we have no courage for it because there's many people he puts them out of collapse each and every day who aren't prepared. There's no oil in the way. They don't know Jesus. God wants them to be saved. He wants us to share with the people we come into contact with every day to save the saving truth of who He is so that they may someday join us in that wedding feast that will never end. And or not, Jesus is coming, He's coming again of second and final time. Let's be wise, wise, made, ready, and prepared and growing in Him with a fearful way of this Advent season beyond. In the name of Jesus, amen.